You're listening to American Slacker Podcast with Matt Gertz and Jesse Landers. Is that is that a steak video that you threw into the uh, the chat thing here? I think I just threw the Ublek one in. Oh, the Ublek. Okay. Yeah, I was checking that out. That's pretty cool. Like, the golf ball one was really satisfying. Yeah. yeah. Man, whoa. So, so when a golf ball hits, what is it? Cornstarch and water is Ublek. I think so. I'll look through it. So when a golf ball hits Ublek, what happens? Oh, it just, uh, like, blows apart. It's really, like, satisfying to watch. And the... Perfect but, pattern. But the bullet went straight through. Yeah. So, is that a matter of, like, surface area? No, it's a matter of impact speed. Um, the oh. reason the golf ball just scattered everything was because it was wider, but it still went through pretty much unobstructed, just because it's so fast relative to the deformation of the object that the the corn syrup doesn't really have time to thicken up. Huh. Okay. So a bullet goes through and it it doesn't like get fragmented like it would if you hit like the gel the normal ballistic gel or anything. Exactly. Um and what what it's what you see on the golf ball that like scatter that's like solid at first, that's what happens on the bullet but only in a very narrow area because the bullet's so small in comparison. The golf ball is just yeah. it's like a big wide surface that's throwing stuff off of it like a big snow plow like throwing things to the left and right huh. yeah because they surprisingly collapse quite a bit when they actually hit something that has uh like a solidness to it like i don't know if you guys have seen those videos i'm sure like uh where like against concrete and everything the way it collapses and comes back to shape oh yeah they deform completely they'll go flat like a pancake and then re um reform as a sphere on the on moving the other way yeah yeah, invisible to like the normal eye, I'm sure, without like breaking it down on speed cam. Fucking throwing golf balls against shit. Science. <laughs> Who knew? Well, yeah, we just did that in my mechanics class. Uh, the deformation and reformation uh, forces. And so, if you say like they're, they're they're equal and opposite, then you have perfectly elastic collisions, like you know, an ideal bouncy ball that always bounces up to the same height and if you say it completely deforms then it's like uh, a wet paper towel sticking to a wall huh so the softer it is the more likely it is it's going to stick when it hits well that it, that's like the definition of soft that it deforms without uh, resistance so huh. so yes that's pretty cool and you said this is that was in your uh your class at where where are you uh studying at again university of vermont there you go and you're working on your master's in uh, yeah, science yeah. Right? master's in physics my ms in physics i keep saying science just because whenever well, I think, it's like, a master's physics in science, math, not physics so yeah yeah i'm just i always group it into science because science is pretty damn cool which it's, is our subject all... for today on uh, american psycho podcast uh, our guest is alexander schlichting uh, hello, hello. As we, as we stated, he's uh, working on his master's at the University of Vermont in physics. 
and he'll be guiding us through some interesting topics today. Hopefully you can keep your mind open and ready to learn some shit that you may not have known. That goes for me as well. I'm always here to learn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't wait to hear some of the lovely things we've been talking before the show, and I mean, we're already getting it. I wish we had been recording already. Yeah, like we, we, uh, we lost material already. We <laughs> talked last night, we talked today, and it's not just going to be science stuff. We got some really funny stuff in the middle, too. Oh my gosh, so, yeah, I've, I've got some good stuff, but we'll get to that. <laughs> so our, uh, our first uh, questions we're going to try and tackle are just some, uh, like, a co- first a really basic one that I'm sure a lot of people have always wondered. What, why is the sky blue? That's something that we need to know. We need to know. Can't, can't we need to. People, know, people can't. People can't walk through life not knowing this kind of stuff. You know, well, you have a kid; yeah. they're gonna ask you. That, that's true, and you see a lot of bad answers floating around the internet. Um, one of the particular, like one of the most convincing ones, but still incorrectly, has to do with the shape of the water molecules. I saw. I said because water's spherical. All right. So the light striking from one side spreads out, and then when it strikes the back side, it uh, reflects again, spreading out more. And so the precise angle, as you look like up in the horizon versus or up to the sky and down to the horizon, because that angle shifts, the color shifts, uh, just like you know light spreading out in a prism uh, separates by colors. So if you like orient the prism uh, uh, against a wall, you'll see the different colors like intersecting at the same point. Right. And it like makes sense. You know, you think oh, I've seen prisms spread out light. So, yeah, that that totally like should work, except no, it doesn't. <laughs> Cuz that would so, imply that there's there's some point that you could view like red light, green light, yellow light and all the other in-betweens and you see that you only see blue no matter how you orient yourself and how you position a camera. Like if you look at a camera in space and look down, you still see blue. Huh. So that's the wrong answer. Yeah, that's the wrong answer. I like to get those out of the way. Just that's to, what not yeah. to believe. People. Don't all of that. Forget it. Yep. Kind of like to John Oliver. Yep. Start yep. taking notes. You were lied to. Start yes. pull out your little pen and paper because you're gonna be learning some shit. But that's the wrong shit. So the actual answer is a form of scattering, uh, and this there's a small experiment you can do at home to kind of illustrate this point where you take a tank of water and you mix in some dish soap and then you shine a flashlight through it and the dish soap will actually scatter the blue light out of the the flashlight and the dish the water will appear to glow a little blue and then if you look at the the light cast on the wall exiting the tank it'll be a little orange so when you look at the the sun um on a a, day if you could look at the sun without burning your eyes anyway if you have some kind of sunglasses or filters you'll notice well you know like... i was driving to work one time actually in the middle of the day or well at the early morning and there was enough cloud coverage that i could actually look kind of at the sun <laughs> kind and... of slightly <laughs> well like i mean it was, it was it was yeah it was diffused enough that i could actually like see a circle outline and then once I like swerved back into the lane I was supposed to be in, I thought how cool that was that that like oh I could actually see yep. the sun for a second. Yeah, and it usually appears like a reddish orange or like at least off white to the red side. Yeah, it was kind. Of, yeah, it was like an off white. I would definitely say that that's how it was appearing. Yeah, like definitely not pure white. And um, and we know that the the emission from the sun is is white. It's there's so many different. Um, 
atomic transitions going on which emit light that you get virtually all the colors and all the colors in equal amounts so the end result is it's a uniform white and if you look at you know stars uh, through pictures or just like through space stars all look white so so this, we know the sun's light is white so it looks red when when viewed through the earth because the blue light has been removed from it and the blue light scatters out uh, by interacting with the smaller molecules in the air mainly the water okay. Okay. And so that's the same principle, essentially, of, like, what we were talking about before with why the sky is blue. Like, I know I kind of cut you off in the middle there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why I was saying, like, the dish soap uh, in, in the water tank is a good way to visualize that. Because uh, it's the same thing on a, on a smaller scale that you can really see. But the, the smaller molecules will scatter higher frequency, lower wavelength light. Let me just make sure I'm getting that right. I always forget small things. Yeah, definitely. We're uh, trying to do it right for everyone out there. So yeah, they're getting... keeping it factual. Getting not the incorrect answer that we described before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Blue light is higher frequency, shorter wavelength. So, um, yeah, even in the master's program, we forget certain things. Yeah, I mean... Well, yeah, that's what... you... You're taking That's what, a lot uh, of knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. More, more than we'll, we'll excuse you, all right, Al? Yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll yeah. let you go this one time. Yeah. So generally, the um, the higher energy particles interact with smaller molecules, and the uh, smaller en- smaller energy particles interact with larger molecules. Um, and that that has to do with uh, um, a momentum trade-off that's associated with it. Uh, and in this specific example, the incoming like light is scattered by the atomic. Yeah, I'm going around in circles now. But if you all it's remember all back to chemistry classes when we do orbital diagrams and how uh, electrons can only occupy certain positions, and in order to change from one position to another, there has to be a definite energy, either gain or loss. And for water molecules or hydrogen specifically, like a couple of those jumps are in the blue light range. So that's why blue is scattered by hydrogen. It's able to be oh. absorbed and then re-emitted. Okay. So essentially the molecules are absorbing certain light and letting out blue. Yeah, they're, they're able to interact with it. So it's absorbed from one particular angle and then emitted at any angle. So light coming in from the left side well, can be emitted to the right side, can be emitted up, can be emitted down, can be emitted uh, to the left, which is why if you look at any point in the sky, it looks blue. Uh, it's not like, you know, there's certain blue points in the sky. Like, every, every point is blue. Right. You're not seeing, like, yeah, yellow no or red. It's not yeah. pixelated or anything. Yeah, like, if you picked one... Yeah, yeah if you picked one point, you, you can't orientate your... You can't orientate yourself such that you don't see blue from that point. So, therefore, that point must be radiating blue light at all sides. <laughs> That's crazy. It's some... Uh, so there's your answer, essentially. The sky is blue because hydrogen only lets blue light out, and that's well, also... Well, not, not well, only kind of, blue, but well, one of the particular interactions that's possible is blue, and none of the other visible frequencies um, of light in, in the darker... Or, sorry, not darker, redder spectrum are... Now, is there a... A, a molecule that does emit red light essentially would like if we didn't have like h2o oh our, now uh, you're getting into the fun stuff okay hold on <laughs> um 
Well, because now I want to check which gases do that because um, so so red, we, it, we can work backwards. We say red light uh, is somewhere, I think it's like 450 nanometers to, oh no, that's the general range. Red light might be like 600 nanometers. I just want to get a range. <laughs> I look up red light. It's like film. No, it's not what I want. <laughs> not, not that kind of red light. I mean, I because I I look at other planets like pictures that I've seen. I know that Jupiter sort of has like an orangish hue or like reddish, and Mars clearly is like the, always called the red planet. Yeah. So well, that's that can be a little different because you're not standing on the surface of Mars looking through the atmosphere. Um, we do have cameras on Mars, and generally that comes from the red dust on the surface. Uh, yeah. Not exactly the atmosphere. So when you're taking a picture of Mars, the dust reflects that red light back at you. So it's just like wow. you know, if you painted the Earth. So it's blue. like bad pollution. Exactly. Like like when you look at the Earth and you see a blue Earth, it's because the water itself is blue from afar and clear up close, but blue from afar, just like any body of water is blue. Okay. If um, we were if we're called Earth, you'd think we'd be green. Huh. <laughs> right. We should be called ocean or something. But yeah, getting back to your point, um, so light's round about uh, 650 to 800 nanometers. So if we look at the, that's associated with a particular energy, um, and there's there's a basic relationship between wavelength and energy, which you can look up. But so we say the there's a definite energy associated with red light. So is there a particular atom which has a difference in electron positions corresponding to that particular energy gap? And yep. I'm sure there is. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example of neon. Is is a good one, which emits okay. in the blue range, the violet range. In the blue range, the violet lane range. I keep saying range. <laughs> You're good. Don't worry. And in the red range. So, um, oh, actually, I'm looking at hydrogen right now. Red range sounds like a place to avoid in a video game. Yes, it does. It's like stay stay away from the red range. You will get murked. So you don't want to go there. But yeah, you can get these little... Um, oh, They're like diffusion gradients. Like, yeah, if you look at a CD, you'll see... Um, if you shine light on the CD, you generally see like three bars. Like a red bar, a green bar, and a blue bar. Yeah. Yep. So that can happen when you have a emission source, which is in discrete energies. Like a... A projection screen like a TV monitor has three specific frequencies, red, green, and blue, and it mixes them in different amounts to get the in-between colors. So the emission source is a discrete spectrum of only three frequencies or three wavelengths, and then it just changes the proportion to get a perceived color difference. Oh, okay. oh wow. So the colors that you're seeing in the reflection on the back of like a DVD is are, is the mix of colors that you're seeing in the pictures when you put it on the screen? Exactly, just separated. Wow. It. Instead of three colors directly overlapped, they're split apart so that you can see one, two, three. That's that's pretty. It's like the primary colors, like you learned in yeah. uh, exactly. art school, huh? And then that's, primary that's colors crazy. are only that for us. Like human eyes only have three particular receptors: red, green, and blue, which is why we use red, green, and blue, and that's that's our color scheme. Other animals have other. Um, uh, cones and rods which can pick up different frequencies. I think cuttlefish have 12 different frequencies they can see. So they're seeing like a shit ton of colors? Exactly. Like, um, I think it's not it's like, like they're tripping. It's like 256 million colors <laughs> that can be made. Tripping cuttlefish. 
That's why they're so easy to catch. Well, they're not oh, that they're easy. Cuttlefish. I, I assume they go slow. I've seen their little fins on the on the side. I Look think like squids. I think you're thinking of mola molas, the sunfish. I don't I, I don't know. I, I thought know. I, I thought like uh, I know what he's talking about, and I feel yeah, like if I put him in the water with a cuttlefish, he'd have one. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's like the small squid looking guy <laughs> with like little fins on the side, sort of. Not he, fins, but it's like almost got flaps. like mandibles. Like um, yeah. Okay, then maybe you. It you looks know. like Cthulhu. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> Pretty much like a baby, like a little baby Cthulhu. Like he he ain't gonna destroy nobody. They also have the W-shaped pupils, which is really weird. Ooh. That's interesting. Go to Google, everyone listening, and type in cuttlefish eyes and see some trippy W-shaped pupils. That'd be a cool thing to check out. Yeah, they can tell which which orientation the light is coming in. Um, so light is a three-dimensional projection of electricity and magnetism it's not actually true but that's a nice convenience which we use we say it's an electromagnetic wave really it's a particle but glossing over that um so cuttlefish can tell the orientation of it uh so if for example you had a golf ball and you put like a red dot on the top and uh, a blue dot on the left you, they could tell without seeing dots like which which is on top red or blue huh so if you had a light source shooting red light and you rotated the light source, they could tell that you rotated it. To us, like it just looks red, looks like red, looks like red, but they can yeah. tell that's clockwise red and that's counterclockwise red. That's really odd. That's a, that's a level of sight I can barely imagine. It's like a whole new sense. Yeah, exactly. Well, they live in the in the ocean, and everything in the ocean kind of has to live life on different terms. Yeah, because uh, po- um, polarization, so to speak, which is the orientation of light, changes whenever you v- reflect and refract across surfaces. So the light coming from the top of the water, when it when light comes from the atmosphere into the ocean and it hits that surface of the water, it changes its orientation a little bit. So they can see that and they know where the surface of the water is based on that like shift in uh, in polarity. Huh. And likewise, pretty... they can see, like, something, if, if like, a jellyfish, something comes in between them and the surface of the, of the, of the pond or whatever. They're not in ponds, they're in oceans. But... <laughs> <laughs> I would hate to be in a pond full of cuttlefish. Yeah, I don't think that would work, but, 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 you know, they can, as it passes through the jelly, it, it also changes orientation so they can see it, even if it was completely translucent. Huh. This, yeah, that's, uh... That's a cuttlefish life for you, I guess. They're weird. <laughs> they are very weird. Oh, you know, now that I think about it, I said that cuttlefish have like 12 different pigments they can see. I'm pretty sure they only have two. But I think you said they shrimp. had 12. I think you said they had 12 cones or rods. Well, yeah, eyes, I said I the, the combination of rods and cones can pick up like those. So we have, um, I forget which is which. Rods, one of either rod or cones picks up... Uh, brightness and the other one picks up color so either rod is brightness and cone is color or cone is brightness and rod is color but um uh i'm pretty sure cuttlefish only have two colors they can see so they actually see in like almost monochromatic like black and white but it's like slightly shifted i think mantis shrimp is the one with 12 different uh colors that they can see (laughs) 
Oh, uh, okay, okay. That seems wasted on something in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. Because like, most of it's blue. It's like 12 shades of blue. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you should look at mantis shrimp eyes when you get a second. We got all kinds of fish eyes going on. I mean, uh, we, we should probably move on from the uh, fish. Oh, okay, to yeah. Eat. Yeah, I've sunk time <laughs> into this. We're, uh, we're, we're sinking, sinking into the ocean here. Yeah, yeah let's do the opposite. Let's uh, end up in space. Now uh, we were space. talking about we were talking about light before when we were mentioning the cuttlefish and how it's a particle. I was wondering actually, does that play into the idea of light being able to move objects in space? Well, um, yeah, I glossed over it quickly when I said light to particle. There's a lot of um, anyone who's familiar with modern. I feel like physics. that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyone who's familiar with modern physics knows about the particle-wave duality problem, how um, light behaves as a particle in some times and a, uh, a wave at other times. Uh, but the bottom line is we know it's a particle because it only comes in specific numbers of chunks. So okay. you only ever get one bit of light, three bits of light, four bits of light. It's a discernible number of things. It's never... Um, it's quantifiable. Exactly. And if it were a wave... You could have, uh, like a wave in a water can have any height. You know, if you want half the height, you can put in half the push. And then if you want half the height again, you can put half the push. There's no particular height you can't reach. Imagine if someone said, yeah, you can make a wave in the water, but it's only going to be at one inch, three inch, six inch, or ten inch. You'd be like, I don't see how that's going to work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that seems illogical. So if, if light were a wave, you could have ener any energy spectrum of light. But it's it's not. You only get particular discrete spectrums. Oh, all right. Okay. So how does how does that play into light? Because you you said yesterday that light can move stuff in space. Ah ah. So yeah, I I said uh, the example is if you have a flashlight in space and you turn it on, it starts propelling itself the opposite way that it's shining. Yeah, that kind of blew my mind. Yeah yeah. yeah cause... I've never heard of that. <laughs> Um, so if we examine light as a particle, we call those photons. They're virtual particles. Um, virtual meaning they have no mass, and they're sort of a figment of our imagination. We, we've never seen a photon in motion because it moves at the speed of light, and the only thing we can really measure things is by shining light on them. So it's kind of like we're assuming... It, yeah, if you... It's like trying to use a microscope to see what a microscope looks like. You know, it doesn't really work. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because you kind of need light to view things. Exactly. You need to shine light on something to see what it looks like. And so we can't shine a light on light because it doesn't interact with itself in that matter. Well, it, it does interact with itself, but not in an isolated sense that we could bounce a particle of light off another particle of light and get some information like, what did the light look like? <laughs> It's like your boss down at the science lab being like, Al, I need you to uh, study the back of your own head. Now, I don't need, I can't have you working with anyone on this. It's and you're not allowed to use mirrors. <laughs> yes, you're only to observe this with your own two eyes. Now I'm picturing the Venture Brother episode where his eye falls out and it's like the camera is split and it's, oh, it's gross. Um, but Watch yeah. the Venture Brothers. Yes. yes. Yeah, plug Just the Venture Brothers. Throw that out too. Season six. The monarch. Um, so yeah, the light light does propel 
something because of that. So so the the virtual particles fly off in one direction, and you you probably say, oh, they have no mass, so they don't carry um, any weight to them, and they don't provide any push force. But they still have energy. So energy is leaking out one side, um, and relativistic energy is or relativistic momentum is associated with an energy. So there is some momentum being ejected on one side and that causes a shift in the momentum of the object to keep everything nice and neat. Okay. Cuz I uh I, I pictured yesterday when we were talking about it the guy leaving his phone on. Oh yeah, and it shoots off in the other direction. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you said you said it's like because of how bright it would be. Like even if you had it on the brightest setting, it wouldn't move that far, like or that quick. I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so if we take the example of like a high-powered laser pointer, and you know, hook it up to an incredibly powerful like power source, like you know, within reason, uh, and I say within reason as in we don't make it the size of a desk. Like, so, so you know, as, as like something you can hold with one hand. Exactly. If we try and get the most powerful handheld device we can, and turn it on, uh, in the time it takes to use the entire battery of it, it would probably get a speed of like a hundredth of a centimeter per second. So, so that's why we're not traveling space on light based. Right. Right. Exactly. Engines. And and <laughs> you might think, oh well, we can just you know plug more batteries onto it and then it'll go faster but then it's also heavier and then it's harder to accelerate so that's what i mean the uh it's it's not an efficient means of transportation that that is to say shining light is an ineffective means of transportation for moving but having light (laughs) shined on the object is fine and dandy like if you have what are called you're not going to be traveling the uh, stars on a laser pointer. Well, yeah, it, well, it's 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 like um, a laser pointer doesn't equal a rocket booster, where you can just like turn <laughs> the laser pointer on and then shoot the other direction. So there is. But some... how cool would that be? Oh, that would be amazing, yeah. especially like just you know, have... in the Star Trek esque of just like <laughs> rockets on ends and. <laughs> Just have like a backpack full of laser pointers, and like every time one runs out, you just throw it, and it's like floating away, and you just pull out another one, zip off to Mars. Yeah. No yeah. heat to burn you. No possible <laughs> explosion. There's a new um, weird propulsion system that NASA was talking about. Um, oh, I'm trying to. It's not the Orion. Uh, propulsion is it no it was this thing that basically was a microwave oven inside a turbine and somehow it generated thrust uh i'm trying to find the, the review of it because I, I i saw basically nasa made an announcement that said we're gonna build one and try to recreate this and i never like read anything that says like yes thrust has been achieved engine works but the the idea is that uh, someone in I think it was China built one and claimed like it produces a measurable amount of thrust uh, from an energy source and doesn't require ex, ex, um, ejection or emission of particles. So normally like ion drives work by taking some gas and like accelerating it out the back like a compressed air can in space and like that would propel it one way. But you need a source of particles to expel. And so this would be just, like, hook a battery up to a microwave, and it propels you without ejecting stuff uh, out the back end. And when you're talking microwave, you're talking about the same particles that I'm using to heat up my Hot Pocket can propel me in space. Yes. 
And again, you, we, we, when we say particles, microwave particles, it's really, you know, electromagnetic radiation in form of photons. But It's a specific wavelength of, of energy, It's actually a range. Um, that, that's another common misconception about microwaves. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, well, it just uh, locks on to the oscillation of water, um, like, like a tuning fork oscillates at E flat water oscillates at some frequency this is an assumption it's not actually true Um, the assumption is that water oscillates at some frequency and that the microwave locks onto that frequency and reverberates it like if you sing an e right i've heard that before yeah Yeah. water actually has uh about 18 different ways of storing energy oh wow Uh, you might know it's a little mickey mouse shaped uh, uh molecule so you can tug the ears you can twist the ears you can pull the ears up you can pull the ears down um so there's a lot of different ways you can deform and thus store energy in the molecule. So each of those has a specific frequency associated with oscillation. So there's no like one thing that makes water vibrate because it shares it with each of those other 18 different methods of, uh, of oscillation. So because they all bleed into each other, it's not effective to just like uh, send one frequency out and heat it up. Huh. So what, micro- so what, what does it do? So How what microwaves actually do is there's a thing called the, um, the magnetron. And so microwaves emit a frequency range. Um, I forget the actual frequency range, but it, it's a range of particles. And so it's high energy particles. And then the magnetron scatters the particles all over the place. And so as they hit, they deposit electric energy and they cause an electric potential difference between a location that was hit and a location that wasn't hit. You have like a high voltage region and a, and a neutral voltage region. And so because you have a difference in electric voltage, current starts to flow between like different areas of, of the, uh, the microwave. Uh, this is why microwaves will rotate a lot of them on like trays okay. because naturally you'll have uh, high voltage points and low voltage points. And so current will flow in that direction but not in all directions so you want it to rotate so that like imagine if you had like uh heated wires in there you'd want to rotate it so that the wires can touch like all the different parts that makes sense because yeah it's essentially hitting at random and exactly. spinning it exactly in there kind of helps per- make it even more random but that's why uh that, that it works basically by establishing ranges of uh, high voltage and low voltage all across whatever you're trying to heat which conducts current all across whatever you're trying to heat and as the current flows it feels resistance resistance uh is associated with waste energy in the form of heat that's pretty cool so it's not vibrating your water it's (laughs) essentially shocking different parts oh yeah you can do the same thing if you uh and i don't don't try this at home do do not but if you took uh, wires Disclaimer. from your outlet, you know, cut the end of the cord off and attach the positive and negative terminal to like a block of wood, you'll see it, it starts to heat up as the electricity conducts through. And you're doing the same thing. You're establishing a high voltage region and a neutral voltage region. Uh, and as it flows, there's resistance and the resistance is uh, waste energy in the form of heat. And you can see that in the Lichtenberg, right, figures? Oh, yeah, you're talking about those tree diagrams. Um, Yeah. So that's specifically the method of exploration. I'm doing air quotes. You can't see it. Um, (laughs) As the positive and negative tendrils reach out and try to find each other. Okay. 
Yeah, you can actually see the movement of the electricity through the wood. They essentially hook up like a car battery to, uh, yeah, to like alligator clips and pop them into uh, onto nails that are put into a piece of wood, and the electricity goes through and finds each other. And yeah, creating like, like a cool through the wood. Yeah, yeah. Cool, it's important uh, to remember that the the electricity isn't you know a sentient thing that's doing anything. What's actually going on? Um, for example, um, lightning, a static shock in the air. What's going on is the water molecules in the air are actually aligning themselves and forming a wire between top and ground. So you actually, oh, wow. when you see those like tree diagrams, that's like water aligning itself like in the air to conduct like current. And so those are the branchings of, like, wires, so to speak, like, working out and trying to find, like, a path to ground. Until it hits you out there with your metal pole in the middle of a football field. Yeah, because why so, are you standing out so there with a wrench? quit going in the why, fields, kids! Why Especially during the... With a metal pole. I keep sending them out there when they're bad, and they keep, they keep just going out there and getting shocked. <laughs> So don't go outside with your metal poles, because electricity will wire itself down to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although it'd be a uh, cool effect. It, I mean, I'm sure it'd make a good YouTube video. Oh yeah, it'd go viral. <laughs> That's how we're but don't do this. Base. Don't do this. <laughs> yeah. You didn't It'll hear that you here, guys. Not here. If <laughs> you if you don't want fame or fortune, don't do this. <laughs> I, I don't, don't think that's that. the way to say it. <laughs> what? I don't know. I'm just telling. I told them not to. That's all. That's the important part. <laughs> you kind of. Well, let's just leave that on and move on. Yeah. 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 Let's go. Let's let's just touch on it quick because uh, I don't want to like run out of time here on our episode. But gyroscopes are yeah. kind of kind of crazy. We we're watching videos of gyroscopes yesterday. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Out. This one is difficult without the visual medium, um, because. So uh, first off. Whatever you're doing, stop what you're doing. Immediately pull over on the side of the road. Look up gyroscopes on your phone. Get back on that road. Keep watching that video. Keep listening to us while we talk about gyroscopes. So they're essentially <laughs> using their momentum to, to keep their orientation? Like, how is that going on? So it's one of the like, great, and I, I say I'm quoting Richard Feynman here, one of my favorite physicists. Uh, it's one of the great conservation principles. So energy can be conserved in three ways and is conserved in three ways. Okay. Um, energy is conserved in and of itself. Linear momentum is conserved and angular momentum is conserved. And the way that breaks down is the idea that you should be able to perform the same experiment any time and get the same result, anywhere and get the same result, and at any orientation, like angle-wise, and get the same result. And so that's what the, the conservation principles mean in a physical sense. Um, but linear momentum is, is what we're talking about here with gyroscopes. So the idea that a closed, non-interactive system that has some linear momentum doesn't lose or gain it. So uh, the example... And by linear momentum uh, in gyroscopes, it's essentially just spinning. Like... It, it can be thought of as the rotational energy. Yeah, the, the amount of rotational energy, if we take all the different parts of it and sum them all together is, is going to be a sum number and that number is a fixed number. So if it has no rotational energy to start with and then it gets some, it must lose some from somewhere else. So if we have like um, a, a pool table with billiard balls, you might notice that uh, you sometimes you strike a, pill, a 
billiard ball with the cue ball, and the ball doesn't move very fast, but it spins very fast as it exit as it uh, recoils from the impact, also known as English in the billiard world. Um, and so nice. the the momentum. Cool shark here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The momentum is the next episode though. Oh, uh, that, that's a good one. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, the momentum isn't associated with. Um, um, a speed moving across the table, but a speed revolving around an axis or rotating about an axis, not revolving. Um, so, so that's, that's like the total, uh, mechanical energy stayed constant and changed different forms. And if we're just concerned with rotations, um, we can just say like the total rotational may, remains constant. So if we have like fixed points that rotate like gears, uh, if if we had no gears moving at the start of it, and then we had gears moving at the end of it, we know that the gears must be moving. Well, I guess gears, that was a bad example. Gears always move in opposite directions because they mesh. Um, sure. Yeah, pull against, yeah. But in, in terms of the gyroscopes, these, uh, the essentially the momentum that of them spinning on the inside is able to keep them sturdy and unaffected by uh, any of the like forces on the outside that would normally tip it over. Like if you spun a top, it's going to fall over. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what, what's happening is the internal energy is used in order to resist the external, um, the external deformation. So if you hold the top at some angle and it's not spinning, it falls over. If you spin the right. top and hold it at some angle, it tries to fall over, but the energy that would go into the pouring out of uh, the energy that would go into m rotating the top goes actually into changing the the orientation of it as it rotates about and does its little wobble thing so you're not like getting away from from the escapable fate that is the top falling over it's just being yep. delayed and the cost of the delay is coming from that initial spin energy that you gave it that's pre it's pretty cool. It's definitely like you said. It's a it's very visual thing. Uh, if you go and check out, type in uh, gyroscopes. I guess right on. Well, on I, I want to like include something. a link to the the one I showed you with the bicycle wheel. How um, the the person starts with the bicycle wheel rotating, and they're not rotating, and then they turn the wheel upside down, and the person starts rotating in the opposite direction. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, well, definitely. We'll we'll definitely put up a link or we'll post a video uh, uh, pr promo uh, for the episode about um, with like the gyroscope footage from that video. Yeah, yeah. Because it's pretty it's pretty crazy. But now, net, real quick, hold on before we move on. I had I had <laughs> okay, this popped in my mind. I have to ask out. Um, now, does this concept that, like of the gyroscope does that apply to like hoverboards as well? Do you know um, like how they maintain the steadiness of upright and uh, segways more more I should say because they seem to do it better but do you do you know if that method like is applied there so you would need an awfully the, the thing about gyroscopes is uh, the the internal rotation has to be much much larger to can win compared to the external so if you have like a dreidel or a top you spin it incredibly fast and it's very small so that the top falling over is a very like small kind of tip. So if you wanted a gyroscope on the scale that it would actually support your movement, like a skateboard that like if you tilted it wouldn't, if you fell back the skateboard wouldn't tilt it over. 
You'd, you'd need something like very large, like a soccer ball spinning around. Oh, okay. So it does not. Okay. It, it wouldn't help you. I was you just curious because it seemed like a similar, similar concept. Yeah, yeah. You, it, you wouldn't help you pitch over, but they are used to detect changes in orientation, which is how uh, pilot gears, um, it, 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 you might see those things that look like uh, like marbles floating in, in water kind of thing. Um, yeah. Exactly. So when the plane rotates, the marble rotates, and the pilot can clearly see, like, I pitched 15 degrees. Okay. Okay, because it stays upright yeah, while it, the it plane moves the around it. Yeah, it resists the external torque. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. N- now we can move on. Sorry. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> used for indicators. Yeah, they're... No, that's it's cool when it's, uh, you can find that it's used in the technology that's used on, like, a... Like in planes or something along those lines. Exactly. Yeah, it's used as an indicator rather than a corrective means. Like, oh, thank God the gyroscope saved us there. It's more like the gyroscope <laughs> is telling us we have a problem. <laughs> just like that'd be cool. It just uprights the plane or something. <laughs> Whew, that was a close one. <laughs> <laughs> thank God for the gyroscope. <laughs> um, so now we're on to uh, some really hilarious customer reviews. This was something that Al brought to our attention because um, he's a uh, he partakes in the interneting <laughs> at times in the corners of the internet. Guilty pleasure of many, Just scraping up the corners of the internet. Oh my god! Now when I go to Amazon, like that's the first thing that comes up in my recommended. How many gummy bears did you order? I I still haven't yet. I really considered leaving them oh. at my last job. I mean, they're not. How much? Wait, you hold on. Back up. You were gonna leave them? Yeah, like well, buy. Reviews, yeah, like you? buy a giant thing and then like leave it at like the uh, the office like lunch table kind of thing. Oh, okay. I see what well, you're saying. A little what treat do we for the office. Lay a review on people so they understand the hilarity of it. Who uh, do does anyone? I was gonna say, does anyone want to go first? Is there one picked out? Well, one specifically? of you should definitely start start off with a classic review of, and and. Let's talk about the product in general. <laughs> oh yeah, actually, um, Matt, do you do you want to go first, or would you like me to? Well, here, you want me to review the product while you uh, you pick your favorite. I'm yeah, yeah, there you one. go. Yeah, that's what so, I was hoping for. <clears throat> we're talking about Harabi gummy bears, okay? Now it's a five pound bag, which I mean, no short when you're ordering gummy bears. I mean, <laughs> one turns to two, to turns to three pounds, to four to five. You, you know how it goes. That bag's gonna last you one sitting. oh wait no you should never consume that many because it's going to do terrible things to you but either way so it's a wonderful thing um naturally flavored apparently with balanced sweetness it's it's totally not full of sugar (laughs) totally not Um, nutritional first first thing on the ingredients is wonderful healthy for you corn syrup okay um the second one is sugar i lied Um, everything else is terrible fillers that you shouldn't have as well. <laughs> but anyway, most of the reviews, which Jesse will get to his favorite, but most of the reviews consist of people having to use a restroom in matters that you would not tend to want to be in. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a legal disclaimer on this. Oh, wait, I'm not reading the right one. There, there is definitely. I want. I, I want to see this. I'm pretty sure that the company makes an actual statement somewhere. It's not just like uh, coming out of nowhere. 
See, I like the questions a lot more too. Like, are these made in a nut-free facility? <laughs> of course not. The food chemist that released this hell on earth is certifiably nuts. <laughs> Sixty-nine people found this helpful. Okay, so I'm ready. I got the scariest harvest party will forever haunt school. This is a review. Five stars he gives the product posted by Gray Hastings just about a year ago. I brought two bags of these to my son's school for their harvest party because of the new sugar-free variety and healthy eating initiatives. All appeared well. The kids were thrilled to have something that wasn't carrot sticks or clementine pumpkins. Uh, within a few minutes, the munchkins had polished off the first bag and they were tearing into the second. They shouldn't have brought two bags. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm editorializing a little here, but that's, uh, that's irresponsible. Clearly. Clearly. These, this is a five-pound bag each? Yeah. That's ten pounds of gummy bears you're unleashing on these children? That's irresponsible. Oh, God, nobody should have that much gummy anything. So, we started bobbing for apples and playing Haunted House Bingo. 20 minutes later, the kid in the purple monster costume started growling. Turns out, it wasn't his voice, but his stomach. The teacher asked my son to walk the child down to the bathroom, so I followed them into the hall. The child's zipper appeared stuck and could not be budged. Suddenly, the floodgates opened and hot gravy began pooling around the monster's shoes. (laughs) I, I told my son to get help. As he turned around and headed back to the classroom, he slipped in the sludge, ironically soiling his Winnie the Pooh costume. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, two more afflicted children were on the way to the restroom and tripped over my son in their panicked pace. As soon as Elsa smelled the putrid scream, she began vomiting into Rapunzel's hair. At this point... Another parent rushed into the hallway with a desperate minion. She took one despicable look at her situation and ran back into the room. I followed them in an effort to recruit assistance, and that is when I witnessed something that will forever haunt me. The children were screaming. The teacher was holding a stormtrooper as he stood helplessly in the room's only trash can. The apple basin was filled with rancid-smelling yellow stew of partially digested hummus, veggies, apples, and pears. Oh, my God. (laughs) Unfortunately, the school does not have windows that open, and my mom was spraying autumn leaf freshener in a futile attempt to cover the stench. At the point, at that point, the elementary or the school secretary made the announcement that the students should line up in the hallway for pumpkin parade around the school. I think that this is hardly a time for a pumpkin parade. The secretary needs to be evaluated. <laughs> As as the neighboring classrooms entered the hallway, the smog... Oh, okay, so this was a situation where not all of the classes were involved. This was a single class thing. It has now turned into a whole school event. As, as the neighboring classrooms entered the hallway, the smog hit their nose, and they began to run. Several second graders slipped in the remaining smears out the front of the door. Uh, more retching resulted in further contamination of our only exit. We desperately attempted to evacuate the room before more students evacuated their pants. <laughs> Two of us placed plastic shopping bags over hands like gloves and passed children through the doorway over the worst of the wreckage. It was decided that the best course of action at this point was to enact early dismissal and allow parents an opportunity to take students home. 
Because this the disaster originated in our room, students were quarantined in the gym and not allowed to ride the bus. Oh my god. Our school was closed for two days as kids were tested for norovirus. Multiple <laughs> visits to the doctors confirmed the same uh, the same conclusion. Irritable bowels irritable ah irritable bowels from ingestion of sugar substitutes. Fortunately, the children recovered quickly, quicker than I did. Forget haunted houses. I pass out every time I see a gummy bear. So, I don't believe a word of it, but it was hilarious. Well, okay, so now I've read the official thing from Haribo says, this product is a sugarless slash sugar-free item with ingredients that can cause intestinal distress if eaten in excess. So, there is an official notice from them. So, there there is some truth to the... uh... To the claim that, like, it might cause an entire school of children, or, well, at least an entire grade of children to poop and puke themselves. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh, oh. I, That's terrible. I'm, I'm reading an, an explanation of why why it happens. Um, apparently, the, the sugar-free ingredient that is a sweetener is a hydrogenated syrup called lecithin, which is basically a sugar form of alcohol. And so it pulls the water out of your stomach, the, like or the water that you're drinking, and just evacuates oh. it immediately. <laughs> oh, why is Not that in there? Yeah. Why is this in the candy? Uh, well, you know, it's it's a sugar alternative Sh- because sugar sh- alternative, baby. There's no downside in doing oh, what man. they're doing, apparently. I'll take the sugar. <laughs> Let, let's can we move on to something that's not gonna make you do go, uh, go go do that kind of thing here are you uh are you saying you're hungry <laughs> well i mean hungry like hungry like the wolf oh you knew where yeah, i was going with you know it. it come oh, on oh. well this amazon theme of great reviews that will make you die they're better than any other humor or comedy that you might be watching on your tv um the mountain men's rewolf moon short sleeve t-shirt Okay, I mean, the reviews on this are gold. You could pick any one of them, I feel like. They're all pretty good. You should good. pick any one of them. Um, well, he, the first one I the draw my, draws my eye. Um, <laughs> the title is, It's like a redneck magical pumpkin that doesn't end at 12 a.m. <laughs> okay? Once I applied the magical wolf's fabric to my chest, my mullet grew like Odin's beard. My rusted T-top Firebird turned sweet candy apple red, and my white state tape started playing its body-moving melodies once again. God, life is good. <laughs> That's great. Oh, man. I, uh, I, I got a couple of them here, too. I believe that this T-shirt has made me a better man, which is remarkable because, well, I'm a chick. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is a powerful shirt. And they have it in multiple colors too. You can get a green. Yeah, pink. there's like so many colors. I want a couple. Yeah, you oh, can five star review. The power is strong in this shirt. It's <laughs> they even clarifying you. It's they even have an infant uh three wolf moon onesie for a newborn baby if your baby needs to be uh jazzed up with the magic of the three wolf moon shirt also my favorite unfortunately i already had this exact picture tattooed on my chest but the shirt is very useful (laughs) in colder weather and then there's a picture (laughs) of the gentleman with a european broadsword 
his, his shirt <laughs> and it's been photoshopped with a volcano in the background which looks strangely like the one from lord of the rings <laughs> that's that's hilarious oh here's one here's a useful question answered for you guys just in case um will this shirt's magic still work if i have three nipples yes it will just so you know oh that's that's good to know <laughs> I just wanted to answer that, just in case anybody out there was curious, if, you know, they're suffering from the tri-nipple, you know, I mean. I got another uh, helpful question that someone might, uh, like, benefit from hearing. How do I turn off the howling feature? <laughs> Two of the three wolves howl at night. The other one, the pup in the middle, howls during the day for some reason. Not sure if that's a factory defect. This shirt won't stop, can't sleep, it's been days, please help. <laughs> so yeah, that howling feature, that I don't know if they, they didn't mention that. I, I definitely didn't read that. Damn. That's an I added see feature, that. kind of. If you, You're if, complaining. You don't mind that. You're mean. looking a gift wolf in the mouth. A gift wolf. <laughs> you know, someone gives you three wolves and they howl? Like, you're going to complain? Yeah. What's that about? The, uh... The next thing I found in terms of weird reviews, like, I don't know if you guys had seen this one at all yet. It's a uh, a very helpful book. This is a how-to book. A lot of how-to books out there. This is How to Avoid Huge Ships. That that huh. seems... Well, I can see where this is going. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you're out there walking to work. <laughs> and all, huge ship! Right in your way! You know? You don't, you, you don't know how you're going to, like, avoid them. Unless you read John this book. John W. Trimmer is the author of this book, right? Captain Trimmer to you. Oh, all right. Calm down. <laughs> he didn't go to captain's school for eight years to not be called captain. Yeah, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so I looked at the, like, I pulled up the whole page and somebody, <laughs> one of the reviews, read this book before going on vacation and I couldn't find my cruise liner in the port. Vacation ruined. <laughs> <laughs> so he's blaming his poor life choices on the already. Oh man, you gotta you gotta not avoid the ship you're trying to get to. That's that's, that's number one. I got I got another review here by um, another captain, Captain Crunch. He gave it five stars. Now I know what that steering wheel thingy is for. Is the headline <laughs> of his review. <laughs> Uh, he goes, this book really is one of the best huge ship avoidance references I've come across. Wait, hold on. I'm doing this all wrong. This book really is one of the best huge ships avoidance references I've come across. Yeah, there you go. Not just for the effective methods it teaches at avoiding huge ships, but also for exploding some time of the huge ships avoidance myths. I think you meant exploring. <laughs> that many of us take for granted. For example, do not charge huge ships at full speed and attempt to scare them off. This may work with coyotes, but is less effective with huge ships. Oh my gosh. Similarly, do not row your boat over and play dead. Unless that huge ship is capsized by a grizzly bear, this will not work. Do not attempt to go under the huge ship. This is typically not successful. Do not attempt to jump over the huge ship. And then it goes on to uh, talk more about Captain Trimmer and some of the history he's had with him. I feel like they're. I feel like Captain Trimmer and Captain Crunch maybe served together with uh, Ad with Admiral Bite. 
had the knockoff. <laughs> it's funny because I read something that said uh, the Captain Crunch guy animated. He's not actually a guy. The animated character. Um, He's a real guy. Yeah, yeah. There was totally Captain Crunch in the middle. That's Will. That's Will Ferrell. That's well he's, he's just playing a. He's doing a character. But yeah, the uh, the insignia on the collar is actually that of an admiral, so it should be Admiral Crunch. Oh, those lying fucks! Somebody's ah oh, slipping on the fucking departments, man. Come on. So he's uh, spouting a promotion that he never got, essentially. Either that, or they just didn't label him right. <laughs> I don't know. Does. Does that mean that the uh, cereal that he promotes is more likely to sink? Because he doesn't have the experience necessary to keep it afloat? That, that, is, that is very possible. <laughs> I'm wondering. I'm wondering. I don't know if I can trust the guy who's lying about his uh, status, you know. Uh, so Valor by Captain who, Crunch. Yo, <laughs> that, that is ruined a, my childhood. That is a stolen Valor. <laughs> I love oh, Captain man. Crunch. Got to go with Admiral Bite. Admiral Bite. <laughs> I know it's part cardboard, but you got to eat it. It's a little bite. <laughs> uh, one last huge ship. Uh, given this was another review, given that there's a huge ship bearing down on me right now, I'm extremely disappointed that I cannot get the book instantly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you can't. Oh. No, no download. You gotta order the paperback. Very gotta get the paperback. You're right. That's what I'm saying. PDF you gotta ship. Right in my face. You're, you're getting up on a Sunday morning. You go out on your porch after making some coffee and some toast. You go to sit down, and there's a huge ship. Oh yeah, there's a huge ship. What are you gonna do? You haven't read it. You can't download it. That's right. That, that'd be, that'd be my, that'd be my uh, review for the huge ship. How to avoid huge ships by Captain Trimmer. I think so. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, no, it's all right. Uh, was it more about yeah, ships? Yeah, no, or, it was uh, non, a non sequitur. You can go. <laughs> <laughs> right. well, back to, back uh, to some, business. <laughs> some serious stuff. Now, we wanted to talk a little bit about a couple of different uh, paradoxes because that's always something that I've found interesting personally. Uh, these weird puzzles that we wrap our minds around and oftentimes don't end up with an answer. Yeah. They're like theories that can't be proven wrong, essentially, right? Yeah, that's one way to look at it. That's... Well, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, a theory is a, a founded, uh, like, well, I guess it, a scientific law, I guess, or it's like one that's in play at the moment? Law is kind of a misnomer. Um, like, law is what we consider a, a theory that hasn't been disproven or at least is widely assumed to be correct to the point that there's no more correct interpretation. So it's the most solid foundation that we have to explain what we know right exactly. now. Exactly. So a lot of, like, you hear this with evolution, like, evolution is just a theory, and it's like, yes, gravity is also a theory. Uh, I don't see people jumping <laughs> off buildings with wings. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty evident. That's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um but but gravity in itself, I'm making an aside right now. Uh, we say another reason it's a theory is because we have no understanding of what actually like causes it to exist. Only that, given that it exists, here's how we describe it. Got to kind of work backwards. It does, yeah. Exactly. We 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 can say like when we drop things, they accelerate this quickly. 
therefore gravity must be this strong. But we don't say the reason it's there is because there's some inner working mechanism which makes it happen because we just don't have an answer for that. And that's like kind of what we're exploring in these paradoxes is the stuff that we don't have answers for. Exactly. And we're just sitting here going, eh, well, it's fun to think about. It, it is very fun to think it about. Because it is. Um, well, and let's, the, let's go back to space. Yeah, we love space here at American Slacker Podcast. Yeah, um, yes. we, we've been working in aliens quite a bit. I've got to say, like, aliens have made a little bit of an appearance in our show already. Yeah, it's, uh, we like we said, it's, starting. it's fun okay to think about. <laughs> um, the first uh, paradox, I guess, that we're going to explore is the uh, Fermi paradox, if uh, which is the big question, where are all the aliens? Yeah, yeah. This is, uh, the idea is that in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, there are something like 100 billion stars. Uh, of those stars, each of them... Or I shouldn't say each of them. Um, uh, I think it's like one in a thousand have planets. And of those planets, uh, one in a million or so support life. Uh, so that leaves like... Uh, I'm throwing numbers out of my head, so I'm, I'm not going to be accurate with this. Uh, but it leaves some millions and millions of planets that are capable of supporting life. So the idea is that even if, you know, one in a hundred or one in ten thousand of those who can support life do, we should still see aliens. And we should at least see civilizations that can send... We should have already, you mean? Yes, yes. Because right? the Milky yeah. Way galaxy yeah. has existed for uh, seven billion years, something like that. Or th- I think that sounds right. Um, Rounding it off a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. So it's essentially disproving the, the possibility of alien life. Well, it's, it's saying we that there way. should be but we don't see them. And so the question is, why don't we see them? And either there's, there's three options. Either one, the percentage of planets that can support life and actually do support life is astronomically low, like one in 100 billion. So even if there was 100 billion planets that could support life, only one does. And that's why we're unique. But so keep playing the lot. Exactly. And so, so (laughs) that's one possibility that life is just so difficult to start that we're we're the only scenario um the other one is that there is some great barrier in which civilizations face that ultimately destroys them like uh you know nuclear war climate change um gamma ray bursts things like that where being being dicks yeah yeah where the the civilization will destroying themselves hmm this doesn't sound familiar with the current situation I was going to say, human is there, race no, is there an running. option where they decided not to come here because they saw the mess? Ah, <laughs> uh, y- yeah. <laughs> Check, they could be checking it out from a telescope and going, oh, 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 pulling on their shirt collars going, I don't know about that. <laughs> and that's an idea. That's an idea that, um, and that's that's a common that's that's something they touch about in Star Trek that aliens like do see us and they're just like, huh, look at those ants scurrying across their ant hills. Like that's cute. Let's go back to our things. Yeah, right. Because everyone's wrapped up in what they're doing. Yeah. you know, you got a job, you got a well. Well, you mind, can imagine if you stumbled across mind. Yeah, if you stumbled across <laughs> an ant hill that had help spelled out in it, you you might say like, that's neat. They they figured out how to do that. But you wouldn't exactly like stop 
dedicate like an entire like years of your life in order to like figuring out how to respond to them and break it down such that they could understand you yeah that would be kind of yeah i don't think i'm gonna kneel down and learn any exactly it's like there's nothing in it for you so so why bother so if there are aliens out there another possibility that this paradox doesn't take into account is that they're just not interactive that makes it, or they can't interact. That that's true too. You could have some being that's so ineptly different. Um, that's not the word to use. So incredibly different that uh, there's just no viable means of communication. It's just like Wi-Fi, like kills it before it even gets. Oh to man, us, that would be it's terrible. Like, ah! like it's just getting blasted with Justin Bieber songs <laughs> via Wi-Fi, oh, and it's just like oh. disintegrating. Like, ah, why did they do Their this? Their entire atmosphere is poisonous. How do they survive? <laughs> right. And, I mean, it's possible if other uh, life forms form from non-carbon base. could be, like, gas-type creatures or something. Well, see, see, the reason we say carbon-based life is because carbon is the most active, on, most active element on the periodic table. The number of things you can okay. make with carbon vastly, vastly outweighs the number of things you can make with any other particular uh, arrangement. And, and, you know, people say things like, well, silicon's also uh, very active and very um, influential, not influential, but um, um, interchangeable and makes a lot of different. That's why they use it on a lot of computer yeah, parts. Yeah, well, well, they use it in computer parts because it's a semiconductor, meaning it conducts yep. uh, differently in different scenarios. So it's very useful for things like switchboards and things like that. But um, but silicon can be combined in a lot of different materials, just like carbon can be combined in a lot of different materials. So people say silicon-based life could be a thing. And that's true. But if you just look at raw proportions of what, the, what material is in the universe, carbon is so much more prevalent. It's, it's like saying, uh, well, there's oxygen in the air, and you know, oxygen can be useful. It's, it's like, yes, but most of the air is nitrogen. And so nitrogen is like the most prevalent thing and what you would expect like most of the reactions to come off from. Okay. So if we did run into aliens, they'd most likely be some type of carbon base. Yeah, just because carbon is so prevalent. And, and there's possible that there's some reaches of the universe that don't have pockets of carbon and they do have pockets of silicon, in which case like silicon life could arise. But just like sheer numbers, if, if life can arise from carbon it should arise from carbon oh that's pretty crazy i mean so if we do have aliens they're gonna be kind of like us possibly (laughs) at least in terms of chemicals most likely right (laughs) in terms of chemical compounds and well you said that there were three outcomes for that so the you said the first one was that they can't reach us right uh, that, that they can't communicate with us, that they're just non-interactive. Second one is that they don't exist because life is so impossibly hard to make, given that a planet can support life, or like planets can support life but don't, just because it's so unlikely that life arises. And then the third scenario right. is that life arises all the time, but it doesn't make it to a viable civilization state where it can interact. And Okay, so you didn't address the fourth one, which is it's a cover-up. <laughs> <laughs> that they have come Roswell it's explain being this Al. Oh, are we actually going to yeah. talk about Roswell because I'll talk about Roswell 
We joked about well, it. I feel like we should touch it. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, we were going to talk about the grandfather paradox. That was the next thing that we were moving to. But it, in Futurama, which the episode uh, Roswell that ends well, it's season three, episode 19. Actually, I think that's incorrect. If that's incorrect, we'll do a uh, uh, redaction edit on that. Yeah, a, a little update. Um, but it's uh, Roswell that ends well is the name of the episode. Fry goes back in time. Uh, via it's a funny situation um and he ends up going to roswell where bender uh falls apart and they discover that the roswell uh ufo crash was actually bender uh the robot falling apart in the new mexico desert Classic. so if you want, if you want a quick little like idea of the grandfather paradox, watch that episode of Futurama. But let's get in. I'm am down. Let's do it. What's what's uh, what's good with the Roswell? Okay. Crash. Here? So so Roswell is widely known that some object crashed in the desert of New Mexico, and uh, there was a massive cover up where the government came, like took all the stuff, and was like nothing happened. Uh, go away. And people were like, obviously something's happened. You know, a thing crashed. Reporters got pictures of this like saucers and balloons and all this like crazy stuff and they were like what, what's going on why is like government persona out here in a secret base so um long story short the device was used to listen to uh the, the device was used to for a listening it was a giant listening device designed to see if <laughs> russian nukes were going off and so if we could pinpoint where huh. russian nukes were going off in for for two reasons one to see uh how developed the nukes are and two where are they hiding nukes and where are they testing nukes so that's why it was incredibly top secret classified you know in the 1960s or wait it was 49 or 69 no 69 was what 40s 40s 47 yeah yeah so it was in the middle of the cold war so um yep this is why you know it was so like so top secret because if russia found out that we were able to hear where they were firing nukes and pinpoint them then they would stop testing them and if they stopped testing them then we have zero intelligence of their nuclear status right yeah, and their capabilities basically. exactly <laughs> and it turns out that there was a better method for locating nukes which is looking for a radioactive fallout uh, by like using particle sniffers basically sampling air quality and looking for radioactive isotopes and then uh through dispersal means you can tell like the uh how much was at a certain point and then how strong the bomb must have been, which is why they ditched the project. But so how does it work? Like why, why was it doing that? And so that goes back to um, a story of Maurice Ewing and world war two. So Maurice Ewing was this guy who was trying to figure out a way that fighter pilots who crashed in the Pacific ocean could signal for rescue without being detected by the Japanese. And so he developed what's known as a SOFAR bomb. Um, SOFAR, like, uh, radar. But I think it's... Hold on, let me look up the, the acronym. Kind of like a SOFLAM. <laughs> SOFLAM. Well, well uh, that's a... Uh, I know <laughs> that's what you... That's what you use to uh, spot the uh, enemy aircraft. Is a, It's like a SOFLAM... Uh, ah, in Battlefield. Yeah, so, so, so you know far... There's a missile lock on, but yeah, you're right. It's a finder that locks. Yeah. It targets infrared, right? Uh, yeah, that's what I'm assuming. And, it, yeah, it targets. It puts, like, a little uh, tick mark on, on, like, the planes so that they can be easily uh, targeted by the, I guess... Oh, that's called uh, tainting targets, too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I didn't I didn't know if that had any uh, similar. Not not exactly. Maybe that was derived. So so far in this case stands for a sound fixing and ranging bomb, and so what it is is it's actually just a hollow little metal sphere, and it's denser than water, so it sinks. And the size of the sphere is set so that uh, when it sinks to a particular depth, it implodes. And it just collapses in on itself and makes an explosion sound, or an specifically an implosion sound. Um, and that sound propagates along the, the depth of the ocean. It's somewhere like a mile or two underwater. And it can be picked up by underwater microphones by our listening posts in, I think it was the... The Pacific Islands that we had annexed earlier, um, like Guatemala is one. I'm terrible at geometry. I apologize if I got that wrong. It's uh, it's okay. No, the, you're yeah. The chains of islands out in the Pacific. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we had passed, military just past like like midway. And yeah, all we that. had military bases out there with these listening devices, and so we would. The idea was, you know, that they that a pilot could just drop the thing in. We would be able to triangulate the signal based on. Um, to two or more devices uh having having heard it it's it's like that it's like the uh devices that the local police departments are using now in cities uh where they put up the microphones in three three different areas and when they hear a a gunshot yep they're able to find out where the gunshot came from so that they can get to the exactly and so you're probably thinking well geez it, it must it must have to be short range because even though sound travels great underwater, sound uh, intensity varies inversely with the square of the distance. So if uh, a sound... It decays really exactly. quickly. If, if you put a speaker twice as far away, it's one quarter as loud. And the reason is because the, the noise is spreading out in a sphere that's growing in size. Because the sound can be heard above, it can be heard below, it can be heard to the left, it can be heard to the right, from the front and the back. It's not... It's omnidirectional. It spreads in three dimensions. So it spreads as a sphere. And so a sphere has some surface area, which is related to the square of the radius. So that's why it's as the distance doubles the intensity uh, quarters instead of halves. Okay. Um, That makes sense. It's got got more. It has to actually move as opposed to just having a speaker outside of a or exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if someone's standing twice as far away, he sounds one fourth as loud, and so it's it's very quickly becomes hard to hear him, even if he's shouting at full volume, um, despite you know best efforts. So the reason right. this works is because the speed of sound actually varies as you go further and further down into the ocean. The reason is because the water pressure increases. So as the pressure increases, the speed of sound decreases um actually wait now i need to check this out i just want to make sure <laughs> so I'm getting this right. essentially at a certain depth they set it to crush because they knew that they'd be able to ride in that small section of the depth well, well and I, pick and it, it would it would like pick up this the uh signal of the implosion so, so it's about maximizing distance and uh or maximizing distance of the sound travel and so as you go okay. deeper and deeper into the ocean, the speed of sound drops because the water gets colder and it doesn't shake as easily uh, due to salinity, temperature, things like that. So the speed of sound decreases. But then after you get about a mile down, it starts to increase again. So there's a local point huh. where there's a minimum. And so what that means is if you go above 
that point, the speed of sound increases, and if you go below that point, the sound speed of sound increases. So you can picture this like driving on a road with mud on either side of the road. So if your tire on the right side goes off into the mud, it starts to spin quicker because there's less resistance. So this means that you're going that the right tire is turning more than the left tire and so because it's turning more it sweeps out a larger uh, arc and so, because the right one travels more distance, the car will turn back towards the road. And then if it goes to the left off the road, same thing happens. The left tire goes into the mud, starts spinning faster than the right tire. Because it's spinning faster, it travels more distance, and then the car turns to the right. And so your car, without being steered, will oscillate between the right side, left side, right side, left side, right side, left side. Because... Ping pong because the whole yeah, way the, down. the tires keep speeding up on either side as they approach that side. Same thing happens with sound. The sound trying to go up on this as the sphere of like the sound would spread out. The sound going up slows down on or it speeds up on on the extremity side and so it curves back down and then as it goes down it speeds up and curves back up and then what you get is propagation as a flat surface instead of as a sphere. And so wow. the circumference so, of so I'm how, just going to finish this one quickly because the circumference yeah, yeah, the yeah. circumference of a circle is proportional directly to the radius instead of the surface area of a sphere being proportional to the square of the radius. So now when you go twice as far away, it only sounds half as loud instead of one quarter as loud. Okay. So now you've so they're able to get more exactly. For the money. <laughs> if you go an enormous distance, you can still have. Um, some noticeable sound travel and whales will actually use this humpback whales go to the sound channel in the ocean to sing and their songs actually go for like miles and miles and miles which is how they communicate over incredibly long distances wow so how does so the same guy that invented this is involved with the no so i set this up because the same thing that happens in the ocean happens in the air there's a minimum point in the or there's a point in the air or an elevation in the in the atmosphere where the speed of sound is a local minimum if you go up in the atmosphere it increases if you go down in the atmosphere it increases so sound emitted at that level stays at that level and propagates around um uh in a, in a flat layer. And so the incident with Roswell was trying to get a listening device up into that layer so you could listen for nuclear explosions halfway around the globe. Oh, wow. That's why it was incredibly top secret, because if they knew we had that kind of technology, all bets are off. Like, there's no way to hide nukes going yeah. off. They go silent right Yeah, away. and if they go silent, then we have no idea, like, how powerful their nukes are. So it was like, we really want them to not be aware of this. <laughs> That's cra- That's a crazy level of espionage. Exactly. So you, the whole like yeah. alien thing. It's funny because this was declassified in 1996, and it's still you people be like, "There's aliens in Roswell." It's like, dude, you just just read the thing. <laughs> uh, that's great. I'm glad we busted that wide open. Oh yeah, that one's a fun one. <laughs> well, that that's kind of. And if you want to watch the fictional funny version of <laughs> what uh, happened in Roswell. <laughs> Yeah, what happened to Roswell? To watch the future episode, Futurama episode, uh, Roswell that ends well, because that's pretty funny. It also involves the grandfather paradox. Uh, I think we're kind of like time-wise, we should probably get. Uh, I think we should wrap, wrap it, it up. up. Yeah, 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 we've been going on for a bit now. We should, uh, Al. We're definitely gonna have you back 
thank you so much for being our first guest. It was not great. a problem. I laid um, on some real intelligence to the people. Um, we would never be able to translate any of this <laughs> in any way, shape, form nearly as well as you or get it across at all, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, you, uh, it was great. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be on it's, here. I'm happy it, to come back. Sweet. Oh, Definitely will. We'll, happy, we'll be happy to have you. Um, so, yeah, do you have an Instagram app? I, I do not. I've, I've never used that because I'm not an upper-class golden retriever. There you go. Well, don't get at Al on Instagram. Instead, get at us, American Slacker Podcast, on Instagram. Uh, A-M-E-R-S-L-K-R Podcast on Twitter. Uh, Definitely like, check out American Slacker at WordPress.com. Well, yeah, no, that's like dot wordpress.com. Sorry. That's our that's our main website if you're listening to this off of iTunes, you know you can find us there. Stitcher, uh give us some reviews. Uh blow us up, suggest us to your friends. Uh we're going to try and get more interesting people like Alex. This was fun. Yes. Yes it was. Yes it was. And uh what how are we signing this one off? Is it uh Well, there... well I think you're going to take the cue. Go ahead. I'm doing there you go. Oh, well, you ruined it, because I was going to let you do That's It, and then I was going to go, there you go. But so, let's let's just lay it out like this. Let's, that's it, people. There you go. Can hit stop. Yeah. Are we stopping recording? Is that what that was?